welcome to Israel Policy Pod. I'm Evan Gottesman, Associate Director of Policy and Communications, recording from sunny central New Jersey because our New York staff are snowed in. My co-host is certainly not snowed in. I'm not snowed in at all. Eli Koaz, uh, Communications Director, recording from Tel Aviv. Uh, it's, it's not as sunny as I would like. I'm not at the beach at the moment, but it's probably about 40 Fahrenheit degrees warmer over here. So I'll take that. Well, you can't win them all. And uh, that's something that I think that we all have to realize at some point in our lives. And I think that's something that uh, your prime minister, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, is finding out right now. Easy, easy. I mean, nothing Netanyahu hasn't lost yet. Um, But things are definitely uh, getting interesting. Yeah. So for our listeners, if you uh, weren't paying attention to the Israeli news cycle, or maybe were snowed in for the past week, you may not have noticed that Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is subject to a number of corruption cases. And on Thursday, the Israeli Attorney General, Avichai Mandelblit, announced that he intended to indict Netanyahu in three of these corruption cases. Eli, can you explain to us the charges involved, the facts of the cases briefly, uh, to bring us up to speed on what Netanyahu stands accused of? Yes, of course. And before I explain that, I would just add that that this, uh, we'll look back at this as probably the defining moment of uh, of these elections. I mean, there was a ton of speculation. These these investigations have been going on for for roughly two years, I think, and um, there was a lot of talk of whether or not they would be released during this uh, election campaign. Netanyahu made the case that it would be not fair to the voters and it would interfere with the democratic process, while uh, the Attorney General Avichai Mandelbrit said that he would present his recommendations when he finished uh, doing his work and when he felt that he had all the the appropriate uh, evidence, and, and that's what he did. So, uh, there are four Netanyahu investigations going on. Now, one of them is still ongoing, and the other three have uh, Mandelblit has delivered uh, his recommendations. Let's just go through them quickly. Uh, there's Case 1000, uh, which is uh, has to do with uh, Netanyahu receiving gifts from Hollywood uh, mogul Arnon Milchen, an Israeli... Uh, uh, billionaire, I believe, and in return for political favors. Now, this political favor was um, getting Milchen's visa removed, uh, renewed, uh, sorry, um, and this was a call that Netanyahu made to John Kerry uh, and trying to convince, uh, supposedly, to get Arnon Milchen's uh, visa uh, renewed uh, for, for tax purposes and all sorts of things. Um, so the charge here is fraud and breach of trust. It's probably uh, the least serious case of the three. The second is is case uh, two thousand is what it's known as, and that has to do with uh, with Netanyahu and uh, the publisher of Yediot Achronot, Israel's uh, uh, one of Israel's largest circulated newspapers, uh, Noni Moses, and uh, this was a piece of legislation that that was passed. That would limit the uh, the circulation of uh, Sheldon Adelson's uh, newspaper Israel Ayom, and this is something obviously very important for uh, Noni Moses, um, and so it's something that was advanced in in the Knesset. And here Netanyahu is charged with a uh, with breach of trust. And then the 
the most serious uh, case is case 4000. And that's where Netanyahu is charged with bribery, fraud, and breach of trust. And this has to do with the Bezik Wala case. Uh, Bezik is the uh, telecommunications giant in Israel. And uh, Wala is the second or first most popular visited news site. And pretty much uh, uh, Netanyahu took steps to benefit uh, Shaul Alovich, who owns Bezek and Wala, and uh, tried to pass all Alvin, sorts. He he used to he used to own that. He's not the owner yes, anymore. Yes, yes, right? yes. Sorry, sorry, sorry. When Netanyahu was communications uh, uh, minister, he took steps to that benefited Alovich, who controlled Bezek at the time, and this was uh, this involved a huge. Uh, grant of government money to Bezek, uh, over a billion shekels, actually. And in return, Netanyahu was to receive favorable coverage um, on the Bezek-owned Walla news site. So this, and there are many cases of where specific politicians were targeted at Netanyahu's request. Um, And, uh, I mean, in Netanyahu's defense here, he says that favorable coverage isn't considered bribery, but when you see the relationship here, with Bezek and the government money going to Bezek, it really there's a real uh, feel of uh, of criminal uh, a criminal act going on. So those are the cases in short. Right, um, and we, we could devote an entire podcast into the legalese of the different cases and the facts of the cases. Uh, but I think with the immediate impact. And looking ahead to April 9th, it's important for us to address the political fallout. Um, There was a lot of polling taken on the impact of the indictment announcement. Like you mentioned, Israelis were aware of these cases for a long time. The police recommended indictment uh, over a year ago. So people were aware that that was on the horizon. Netanyahu was aware that was on the horizon. His political rivals were aware that that was something that would be forthcoming. So, um, but the polls nonetheless showed a spike in support for um, Kaholavan and decreasing support for Likud in light of the announcements. Um, the Times of Israel had one that was particularly expansive, showing Kaholavan jumping up to 44 seats. There were other polls that were a little more conservative and simply showed the right wing losing their clear path to a 61 seat majority and being down by one or two seats in that regard. Uh, Eli, what do you make of the predictions that people have put out in the aftermath of Mandelblitz announcement? Yeah, so I mean, I think this this decision will kind of shape in which direction we go in terms of the elections and in April, I think that Times of Israel poll it seemed a bit uh, like outlandish, speculative. I don't know where exactly uh, the poll is from. I don't think the change will be that uh, drastic. We saw some. Uh, I think there was a few big questions here. Um, the big, the first big question being, what effect would uh, the Attorney General's the announcement have on Likud voters and Netanyahu voters? Would it cause some of them to leave the Likud? Would it cause uh, other right-wing voters to even join the Likud? Or would it have kind of the opposite effect where you have some Likud voters who are disappointed with Netanyahu maybe move to to Kaholavan, the blue and white 
party, which is trying to take to kind of be a catch-all party that appeals to right to to kind of centrist-leaning Likud voters, um, or will those Likud voters go to other right-wing parties? Um, because it's one thing. I mean, we see we got like people are excited. People that want uh, Netanyahu not to be prime minister, they're very excited about the polls now because they see Kachol Avan leading in almost every poll and leading significantly. I mean, I think their lead, uh, they're around between 35 and 40 and forty seats, with the Likud be at, at around 29, 30. So it looks like a big gap, but it's kind of deceiving because in Israel, uh, I mean, as you know, uh, the big question here is who has the best chance to form a coalition and who has, which block is bigger? Is it the traditional right-wing block which involves the right-wing parties and the ultra-Orthodox parties? Or is it the center-left block, which involves the Arab parties? Um, so here, there was a small change. Before the indictment announcement, um, in almost every poll, uh, the right-wing block had a... It, in, in some polls, it, it was smaller. In other polls, it was larger. But they had a significant uh, uh, majority between uh, 62... Uh, to even 66, 67 uh, out of the 120 seats. So they had a path to coalition. Since the indictment was announced, uh, the recommendations were announced by the Attorney General, in, in almost every poll, we've seen that switch. Now, it's only switched by a little. It's about two to three seats have, have changed over, but we're at about 61 for the center-left Arab bloc to 59. So that is where the, the change will come. And I mean, it's still obviously early on. We have about 30, 36 days. We have thirty six days until elections, um, so so we'll see what happens. But I mean, it's going to change a lot of things. Uh, Netanyahu has a uh, there's a big percentage of the Israeli public that believe Netanyahu around forty percent that think that this is part of this leftist uh, grand scheme and uh, the leftist controlled media to kind of bring down uh, Netanyahu and the Likud government. Uh, but a lot of Israelis and the majority of Israelis don't want Netanyahu prime minister. So so we're going to have to have to wait and see. Right. But that's another interesting facet of the Israeli system and a parliamentary system more generally is that you don't need to have a majority of Israelis want Netanyahu as prime minister and you can still end up with him leading the government because you're never going to have a party win a majority of the seats. Exactly. Um, yeah. No, that's exactly exactly true. And one thing that I'll add is that what a lot of people were looking for uh, after the announcements were made is how did other coalition parties react to the announcement? Um, they they all fell in line with Netanyahu, except for Kulanu. Exactly. Um, and Kulanu also were very. I mean, they said I th- yesterday that they're, they, they're they diplomatic would, about it. They would they would sit kind of until. Uh, at least until there's like progress, like in this case, at least until there's an actual indictment and Netanyahu is, is called for, for a hearing. Uh, like, right. At least which, until which then. You could, which you could read as a way around it because Netanyahu's whole aim in this thing is to form a coalition and then pass legislation that would insulate him from criminal proceedings. What people have called the French law because Jacques Chirac passed something similar when he was president of France in the 90s. Um so if his whole goal is to form a coalition that will pass legislation that will block any kind of proceedings into him, then Kulanu can say, we'll sit in the government only until 
he uh, until the process moves along, knowing that the process is never going to move along because the government is going to obstruct the work of the legal system. Yeah, exactly. And also, I mean, Kulanu, because they're kind of a I mean, they're trying to represent themselves as a statesmanlike right wing uh, a, a party. Um, they're not uh, the best ally for Netanyahu to have, which is why he put so much pressure on the uh, the allegiance on the right wing party. Um, not the allegiance, sorry, on the, uh, the unity agreement uh, from from the far right wing party, the the Kahanist party, Jewish power to join up with the Jewish home in order to kind of bolster that that far right wing block, which have been polling at at around uh, eight or nine seats. They're a party that, I mean, they would be in a Netanyahu government no matter what. Netanyahu could be in handcuffs and they would support him. But then you have to you have to ask, what is Netanyahu going to going to if he's in the position to form a government with these people, what what is he going to uh, to promise them? Because he, he his survival will be will be with their hands. And he's already suggested he's already promised. Yeah. He's already promised two ministries to buy Yehudi. Um, there's talk that Otsma, the, the Kahanist faction, would sit separate from Bayoudi outside the government, but would be given some positions in a judicial appointments panel. And so there's already promises that they're going to have influence. And it's really the only choice that Netanyahu is going to have so long as his primary objective is keeping himself out of prison he's going to give away things to the further right in Israel that he's never thought of giving them. Exactly. You know, yeah, this, exactly. is, this is not, this is not to sing Netanyahu's praises. Um, but you know, he's certainly not a proponent of the two state solution, but he's never been an enthusiastic supporter of annexation before, for example, um, he's preferred to kick the can down the road, which is kind of the classic Israeli approach to the West bank issue and to resolving the occupation and, and the two-state solution. But, um, and for that reason, he's kept people like Bennett out of the defense ministry, which has a significant administrative role in the zoning of settlements and the maintenance of the West Bank. Um, he kept Bennett out of the defense ministry as recently as November, December, when Avigdor Lieberman uh, resigned. Now, if he's forming a government and uh, he just wants to have a coalition that will pass this uh, French law that that'll uh, shield him from the shield him from the courts. Uh, he may back down because if Bennett is the thing keeping him away from having a majority or if Smotrich or, or if any of these people are what's keeping him away from having a majority simply because they demand a ministry that he might otherwise not have given to them, then he may cave. Because he doesn't really have the op the he really doesn't have the option of forming a national unity government with Kaholavan because Kaholavan is unlikely to support the passage of this French law. Yeah, that, yeah, it, they, that's right. And I'll just add. I mean, I'll add to that is that Netanyahu has, like you said, he has no other way to form a coalition. Kaholavan will not. Uh, maybe it was an a, a, an a, kind of an outside option before these indictment uh, announcements. But, I mean, they've made clear that they're not going to uh, uh, sit in a government with Netanyahu uh, under indictments. All the other parties on the center-left won't. So he, he, this, is his only, this is his only way. Even if Kachol Levan were willing to sit with him, 
the formation of a national unity government would necessitate some kind of rotation agreement, probably between Gantz and Netanyahu as the leader of the Likud. Again, this is totally hypothetical, and, and I'm saying why this wouldn't happen, but they would have some kind of a rotation agreement. And Netanyahu's whole point is to form a government as quickly as possible, pass this legislation as quickly as possible to keep himself um, shielded from these proceedings. And so if Gantz is prime minister for the first two years, then that's ample time for the attorney general to move ahead and for the Israeli justice system to move ahead in pursuing these cases. So that's not that's not an option for him, even if Benny Gantz and Yair Lapid wanted to. Yeah, 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 yeah. And there's really no chance of that happening. What I mean, what the I mean, the the most likely case for unity government would be um in the case of a Kaholavan victory, that uh, Netanyahu would probably resign and then maybe make a unity government. Kaholavan could join up with what's left of the the Likud to to, to make that government. But um, with that, I, we'll have to we'll have to wait and see. Um, but so that's I mean that's the situation right now. Um, so uh, Evan, let, let's talk about a bit what people should be looking for in the next in the next few weeks. Uh, what, right. What's important to follow? So I think going forward, you know, the initial reaction was one that seemed favorable to Kaholavan, to Benny Gantz, to Netanyahu's challengers. I would keep an eye out for Netanyahu to bounce back to some degree, maybe not to exactly where he was before this announcement. But we have to remember Israelis knew about these cases before the announcement. It wasn't news to them. There may have been a shock associated with the official announcement that maybe it made it more real. But like you mentioned, Eli, there is a significant block of Israelis who believe Netanyahu and Netanyahu is going to pull out all the stops. He is someone who campaigned with very little decorum in the past when he didn't have prison time on the line. Now he is campaigning not only for his political survival, but for his personal freedom to not, uh, you know, spend the rest of his days in a jail cell um, or, or be in and out of court at the very least. And so this whole campaign has taken on a much more personal character for him. And he's going to go on the attack. He already has been on the attack, as you mentioned. And he's going to go after the easy targets. He's going to go after the media outlets and journalists. He's going to go after the left-wing NGOs. He's going to go after the Arab parties. Um, these are all elements in Israeli society that are easy to pick on, especially from the right. Uh, they're easy to target in varying degrees. And he's going to really make a push for this. And that could bring him back over the edge and keep uh, keep himself in the prime minister's office. There's one way, and I'm curious what you think about this, Eli, that I could see that backfiring because I could see him really going into overdrive, really elevating the nastiness of the campaign beyond what he's already taken it to and keeping himself in the premiership. The one way I could see that backfiring is that if he builds up this solidarity with himself and people who may have been previously apathetic right-wingers who who might have not been energized to vote may come out and vote for him or vote for Likud. But that could draw voters away from the smaller right-wing parties that he also needs to survive in order to form a coalition. For example, you saw Yisrael Beitenu fall below the electoral threshold in a lot of the recent polls. If he draws support 
towards himself, that support is probably not coming from like the Kaholavan base. It's probably coming from other right wing parties. And if he builds up the Likud at their expense, then he may find himself with a strong Likud showing, but a very weak right wing showing across the board. And that could present itself as an issue when he needs to go into coalition negotiations if he's offered a chance to form government. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that. Um, so, I mean, if if I'm Netanyahu, I'm obviously concerned. I mean, this is not this was like this is a bad a, a bad thing that happened for him, even if he does manage to win elections uh, and he, he has to do a whole bunch of things that will really uh, damage Israeli democracy and but odds are he won't be able to do it, and he only has. I mean, this is kind of the beginning of the end of Netanyahu's political career, one way or another. He, he really only has at max a year, a year and a half, even if he wins these elections. So I'm definitely concerned. But in terms of these elections, Netanyahu needs to be like optimistic. He, I mean, all the polls that came out uh, the day after. I mean, th- the main changes, the Likud didn't drop significantly. Um, the main changes were that, uh, as you mentioned, a Vigdor Lieberman dropped, mean, and he dropped under the threshold in almost all uh, the polls that were released. And you have parties on, uh, you have an Arab party, uh, Balad Ram, which is like the the, the, the Islamist parties um, that are just slightly over the threshold. So if you reverse that, um, then the right wing have a path to a coalition. So I mean, the hit Netanyahu took. Um, in terms of uh, what it looks like, at least in terms of polls, it wasn't it wasn't bad, and it wasn't it's not something that he hasn't dealt with in the past. But yeah, you made that point that if there are like Israel Beitenu voters, Lieberman voters going to vote Likud, and they, they fail to get above the threshold, then again, then Netanyahu has no path to coalition. So Netanyahu has to be careful. I mean, that's why again the merger on the right was so important to him. Because the, those are votes that would have been wasted, and 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 now they're they're solid, like they're far right wing votes that will go with Netanyahu no matter what. Um, so he really needs to to see. I, I I don't think. I mean, I think he he probably. I mean, him and Lieberman are rivals, but I, he definitely he needs Lieberman to be above the threshold. So there are a lot right, of right, and, and the same the same with the same with Moshe Kahlon of of Kulanu, who is also struggling around the threshold. This is not a one issue thing for Netanyahu. It's not only an issue of Lieberman. It's, it's going to be an issue with the other parties, with, with Naftali Bennett, even who, who left by Yehudi to start his own party, the new right, and thought he was going to leave by Yehudi in the dust. Well, now that they have the uh, union of right wing parties and this joint list with Otsma, they're polling ahead of the new right. And he may also have his own troubles. So this is going on with several of the parties. I think Shas was also having issues, correct? Yeah, no, the, yeah, they were. I mean, they were they were around the threshold, a bit above Yisrael Betenu, but about between between five and between five and seven seats. Um, but I mean, yeah, there's definitely there's a big problem here. We have like the Kaholavan party. Uh, a poll yesterday indicated that between seventeen and twenty percent. Of Kaholavan voters voted Likud in the last election. We still have a big. What you don't see in polls, which is important, is you don't see undecided voters. Um, there are a lot of undecided voters, but most of them 
are on the center left. So that is also not good news for Netanyahu. Um, we have a lot of things at play. Um, but I mean, we'll know more as uh, as time passes, obviously. And I think oh, even a week from now, we'll have a much better idea of the actual effects of this indictment announcement um, as opposed to right now. Uh, still fresh in everybody's mind. We'll have to see how Netanyahu, where Netanyahu takes his campaign, where Kachol Avan take their campaign, and how things how things play out. Yeah, definitely. I just want to leave with one last bit, which is not on Netanyahu directly, but is on the other side, on Kachol Lavan's path to a coalition. Because just because Netanyahu can't form a coalition, to me, doesn't necessarily mean Kachol Lavan can. Because if you look at the recent polls, there is still the question of the Arab parties and the role that they'll play. Because Kacholavan, uh, and again, you can take people at their word, you can choose to think that they're just politicking, but Kacholavan has been very unambiguous on their desire to avoid a government that involves any kind of cooperation with the Arab parties. And because of that, um, you know, they may find themselves in similar trouble in terms of finding a path to a government. Now, you mentioned Balad and United Arab List, which are the more extreme side of the former joint list. You have Balad, the Arab Nationalist Party, and United Arab List, which is, has a conservative Islamist bent to it. But uh, Hadash, the Arab uh, Jewish Communist Party, and Tal, the, the secular Arab Party of Ahmad Tibi, have put forward that they would be willing to support the government of a centrist Zionist candidate from the opposition benches, that they would recommend one of these candidates as prime minister in order to block Netanyahu's path to the prime minister's office. I think it's a question of whether or not Kachol Levan will accept that kind of help from the Arab sector, because they have been particularly unwilling to be associated with anything left, anything Arab, because you know, that that's part of the brand that they're trying to build, which really is catch all and in incorporating its nods to the Israeli right. And I, yeah, that's, no, that's exactly right. And uh, what now, I mean, if people are following uh, the, what uh, the Likud uh, MKs and candidates are saying, and Netanyahu himself is, it's either between, you're not voting between Bibi and Gantz, you're voting between Bibi and Tibi, Ahmed Tibi, the head of, that of Tal, uh, and interestingly, this was a, a slogan of Netanyahu in in the 1996 elections, um, because uh, supposedly the only way for Kacholavan to form a government is with the help of uh, these Arab parties. And in like, it's kind of true. Um, it's very important for Kacholavan that they have that 61 plus uh, the day after elections with the center left Arab bloc. Um, are they going to form a government with them? I mean, probably not. Um, I would say a more likely scenario is if, an, an ideal outcome for Kaholavan is if they win big, and they're like Netanyahu sees there's no path for him, so he resigns, and then they form they make a unity they form a unity government with the Likud. Alternatively, um, if they can get some of the smaller right wing parties to defect from Netanyahu, which or may like be like Kachlon, like Kachlon is a it's like the ideal coalition partner for uh, 
blue for uh, blue and white for Cajon Avon. Right, right. That, that's that's what I'm talking about. My point being that you have parties like Cajon on the right and center right, Cajon, um, Lieberman, who have all said, um, also the the uh, also Shas, for example, who have all said that they would not sit in government with Benny Gantz. And again, you can choose to take them at their word, and it's entirely possible that they are completely serious and they would never sit in government. I'm with gonna. Benny I'm Gantz. sorry, Evan. I don't think you should take them for their word. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> you're, not, you're not letting. You're not letting me finish. You're not letting me Fine. finish. So let me, let me finish. finish. You can choose to take them at their word and believe that they would never sit in government with Benny Gantz because that's what they said. Or you could look at it and say, these are right wing parties that are struggling around the electoral threshold that are struggling to make it into the Knesset. And they need to make a case to their voters that they have a reason to vote for them that is distinct from some of the other parties. And that's distinct from Kahol Levan. So in positioning themselves as true, authentic right-wing parties and standing in solidarity with the right-wing Israeli prime minister, um, that is a path to maintain their position in the Knesset and to maintain their ability to pass the electoral threshold. So I happen to lean towards the second assessment. I just don't want to discount the first because it is what they said, um, but I I don't necessarily take them at their word. And, And getting Kulanu to defect Getting Shas to defect, um, if Lieberman passes the threshold, which is increasingly unlikely, but if he does, getting him to defect, that gives them a path to government without the Arab parties. Now, I happen to think it's problematic that this is a factor in Israeli politics, that they have to discount uh, 20% of the electorate and their sectoral parties from participation. And that's not to say, you know, you have parties like Balad, um, which are not at all guiltless in this process, but you know, when you have outreach from uh, Tibi and Ayman Oda expressing willingness to participate in some fashion, again, I, I find it problematic that, that this is a thing that they that keeping them out of the process is a campaign issue. But nevertheless, this is the reality. This is what Kakhal Levan is going to try to pursue. So I think their best case scenario is getting those parties, Kulanu, Shas, Yisrael Beitenu, uh, to defect and support uh, Gantz and recommend Gantz as prime minister after the dust settles on April 9th. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree. I think Shas is more complicated just because you have uh, the the ultra-Orthodox sitting in the, like, the idea that them and Lapid, I mean, I think maybe they could bridge gaps between them, but it's it's very tricky. Lapid, obviously, a very secular kind of anti-ultra-Orthodox uh, uh, platform and and party. Um, but yeah, it's possible. I think um, I agree with most of what you said. The only uh, the only thing I'd add was that these parties on the right are very scared, especially after uh, the indictment announcement that Netanyahu will go after their voters, and he will. That's what he'll do. And so um, their promise to sit in a government with Netanyahu is their prom- It's the same thing as promising their voters you can vote for us and we'll be there for Bibi. You don't have to leave our party. You can vote for Netanyahu and everything. I mean, sorry, you can vote for us and everything will be will be fine. Um, so right, that, and that, yeah. that's their way of distinguishing themselves and making a case that it makes a difference to vote for Yisrael Beitenu or to vote for Kulanu and not to vote for Likud. Um, 
And, and I think you're right, by the way, about the, the Orthodox parties. I think Shas is a little more flexible than UTJ, the, the Ashkenazi ultra-Orthodox party. I, I don't think that there is any chance of seeing UTJ uh, sit in government with Lapid, who, who started off his political career taking the fight to the ultra-Orthodox and, and really um, antagonizing them with regards to what he views and, and many people view as, as their disproportionate influence in Israeli society. Um, but it's something that is going to be really up in the air until even after April 9th as the different parties navigate coalition building. Um, so this is going to be an interesting thing to watch going forward. We're right now working in the immediate aftermath of these indictment announcements, and we're seeing the immediate reaction. I would encourage people to wait around a couple days, even a couple weeks, to see how the poll numbers change, to see how Netanyahu continues to campaign and how his campaign gets dirtier, because it is going to get dirtier. And the other right-wing parties are also going to be in a struggle for their own survival, and their poll numbers may bounce back a little as they go into overdrive and as they attack what they perceive to be those easy punching bags in Israeli society and who they perceive to be their enemies among Israeli society. And if you want to keep on top of all of this, then I definitely encourage you to continue following Israel Policy Forum's 120 Project. That's our elections resource. You can find more of these podcasts polling data, articles from the Israel Policy Exchange, including new updates written by Tal Shalev of Walla News. You can read party profiles of the different factions running for Knesset. You can even take news quizzes to see how well you've been keeping up. Also, translated videos. That's a big thing. If you're not a Hebrew speaker and you want to see what the parties are saying, what the different candidates are putting out, you should uh, take a look at those videos as well. So what's the website, Evan? What's the website? That's important because um, otherwise we'd be running around on Google looking for it or Bing. No one's using Bing. No one's using What about AltaVista? AltaVista. I'm using AltaVista. No, I'm checking. Okay. Anyway, so the website that is critical information is www.israelpolicyforum.org forward slash elections. And that's for the 120 Project, our elections resource. So thanks for joining us on this episode of Israel Policy Pod. And we'll catch you next time.